0: American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give.
1: Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow,
0: And I'm Tom Crowe.
1: Today we're talking about Father Peter Whelan, an Irish immigrant priest who became known as the Angel of Andersonville. His story really gets interesting during the Civil War, but he had already lived a full life before that, beginning in Ireland. So let's start there.
0: Sure. So Father Peter Whelan was born in County Wexford, Ireland in 1802, and in the 1820s, he went to college in Kilkenny, where he was educated in the classics and mathematics, And that's about all we know about him prior to his decision to come to the United States.
1: Classics and mathematics, not a typical combination.
0: No, not really. But as history would bear out, he wasn't a typical person.
1: So what prompted him to come to the United States?
0: Well, he had heard appeals for missionary priests from John England, the dynamic Irish-born first bishop of Charleston, South Carolina, and he decided that that was what he should do. So he immigrated in 1829, and the following year he was ordained a priest for Charleston. At the time, the Diocese of Charleston covered all of South Carolina, as well as North Carolina and Georgia. He was one of very few priests in that vast diocese, and he was moved around a lot. He offered the first Mass in Raleigh, North Carolina, and built the first Catholic Church there. Eventually, he was stationed at the parish of the Purification of the Most Pure Heart of Mary in Locust Grove, Georgia, where he celebrated the first Mass in that state, built the first Catholic Church, and established the first Catholic community.
1: We should stipulate that these first were the first since the U.S. was founded and North Carolina and Georgia became states. Right.
0: The Georgia martyrs and the missionaries of Las Floridas had been there a few hundred years before. Check out episode 20 for more. But since the Revolutionary War and the establishment of dioceses within the U.S., Peter Whelan was a trailblazer.
1: He was also an excellent pastor of souls.
0: Yes, he clearly took care to make sure his flock was catechized and formed well. After a visit to Locust Grove, the second bishop of Charleston, Ignatius Reynolds, said, In the diocese, there is not a congregation, remote and as rural as it is, in which, taking proportionate numbers into the scale, we find the youth are more moral, orderly, and better instructed.
1: He spent nearly 20 years of his life in Locust Grove, but big changes were
0: coming. Right. The uh, potato famine, the Great Hunger, ravaged his native Ireland in the 1840s, forcing thousands to flee. Savannah became a destination for many of them, causing the Catholic population to swell. In 1850, due to the incredible increase in Catholic population... The Diocese of Savannah, which covered the whole of Georgia, was separated out from Charleston. Father Whelan became a priest of this new diocese. He was tapped for various assignments, eventually serving as both vicar general and then diocesan administrator after the bishop suddenly died in 1859. But even with his administrative duties, his care was always for souls. So when the new bishop asked for a priest to serve the soldiers at Fort Pulaski, which was at the mouth of the Savannah River, Father Whelan volunteered.
1: So, he was born in 1802, and this is 1862. He was 60 years old when he volunteered to become a military chaplain.
0: Right, and it hadn't exactly been an easy 60 years. But the bulk of the soldiers at Fort Pulaski were Catholic Irish immigrants, and they needed a priest. So, Father Whalen went. Fort Pulaski had been built after the War of 1812 by the federal government, but in 1861, as the Civil War was just beginning, the state of Georgia seceded from the Union. Georgia troops had taken Fort Pulaski from the Union the previous year, so now it was all Georgia boys manning it.
1: So Father Peter went.
0: On the morning of April 10, 1862, everything changed. Union forces began to shell Fort Pulaski. The Confederates fired back, but they were badly outgunned. After 30 hours of bombardment, the Confederate generals surrendered the fort. Amazingly, not one soldier died. The Union general offered Father Whalen his freedom, recognizing that he was a non-combatant, but Father chose to stay with the men. They were all loaded onto ships and taken north to a POW camp on Governor's Island in New York Harbor. At Governor's Island, the officers were given decent quarters and freedom to walk about the island. They were treated well.
1: The enlisted men, on the other hand, fared far less well.
0: Right. They were confined to an old decrepit fortification called Castle William. They didn't get much food. Illness ran rampant like measles, typhoid, and pneumonia. It was to these men that Father Whalen devoted himself. He would offer mass, hear confessions, give encouragement, and find what human comforts and medicines he could for them. He wrote to Father William Quinn, the pastor of St. Peter Parish on Manhattan Island, for help. Father Quinn organized relief, sending shipments of needed supplies. He also petitioned the Union General in charge to give the aged Father Whalen his freedom so he might go live at St. Peter's. The General acquiesced and discharged Father Whalen on parole. Father Whalen was free to move on and off Governor's Island, and he worked to organize further aid, but he refused the offer to live at St. Peter's, opting once again to live with his men.
1: There's one episode that really shows his care for the men. The Confederate officers had noticed that Father Whalen's suit was getting quite threadbare, so a group of them chipped in and bought him a new suit of clothes, and one night, while he was sleeping, they put it in his room. Later the next day, one of the officers was shocked to find him still wearing his old threads and asked him where his new clothes were. Father Whalen explained that a soldier had been brought to the island who had been captured in nothing but his underclothes, so he had given the new clothes to him. When the officer asked why he didn't give the soldier his old clothes and keep the new ones, Father Whalen replied, when I give for Christ's sake, I give the best.
0: It's really a humbling example. The prisoners at Governor's Island were released in a prisoner exchange later in 1862. Father Whalen returned to Savannah and to his duties in the diocese, including as Vicar General, but that only lasted about two years. In May of 1864, a report came from southwest Georgia of a horror. The POW camp at Andersonville, Georgia had been established just four months earlier, and it was already a hell on earth. Made to hold 10,000 prisoners, Andersonville was already at 12,000 by May. Its numbers would swell to 32,000 by August. And while the prison was expanded by about 60% in June, it was still massively overcrowded.
1: And compounding the problems were the living conditions.
0: Right. The prison was just a rectangular space of 16 acres of open land with a 15-foot wall. There were some tents, but not nearly enough. There was a severe shortage of food and essentially no medical care. There were no latrines or any facilities. The lone source of water was a slow-moving stream that ran through the middle of it, and this was all they had for washing, drinking, and all other bodily functions. To say that the creek was putrid and that the whole place reeked of filth and death would be an understatement. During the short 14 months that Andersonville was in use, 45,000 Union troops were held there. Nearly a third of them, 13,000, died, most from scurvy, dysentery, and diarrhea. One of the priests who attempted to minister there but who had to leave due to illness wrote, I shall not attempt a description of the sufferings which we witnessed. Whatever may be said or written about it will remain always below the stern reality.
1: Into this hell on earth walked Father Peter
0: Whalen. When he was assigned to Andersonville in June 1864, there were more than 20,000 prisoners. Father Whalen was given nearly free run of the camp to enter and exit. He spent four months at Andersonville using a little shanty about a mile away as his quarters, but ministering inside the stockade from first light until dusk. He heard confessions, administered last rites, offered mass, and did whatever he could to relieve the suffering of the men. Other priests and even the bishop would come to help for a week or even two, but none could stomach it any longer than that. Only Father Whalen stayed. His example led to many conversions and he even baptized a fair number. In September, When Union General William Tecumseh Sherman captured Atlanta and began his march to the sea, the Confederate Army decided to transfer the prisoners at Andersonville, lest Sherman overrun the camp, liberate the prisoners, and arm them. Nearly 30,000 were transferred through the end of September, with only the dying and those too sick to move remaining.
1: The timing was good for Father Whalen, as he had contracted some sort of lung ailment from the men. And his deteriorating health was going to force him to leave also.
0: But as the camp was being emptied, Father Whalen had one last act of charity. He went to Macon, Georgia, where he borrowed 16,000 Confederate dollars, roughly 400 gold pieces, from a well-to-do Catholic and bought bread for the prisoners before they departed. The men called it Whalen's Bread, and these rations sustained the men for their transfer and even a couple of months after. In the years that followed, survivors of Andersonville would speak fondly, even irreverently, of Father Whalen in their memoirs. It was in these writings that he became known as the Angel of Andersonville. They said that he was truly a good Samaritan who ministered regardless of creed, color, city, or nation. They said he certainly was responsible for saving hundreds of lives. Sergeant John Vauter wrote Of all the ministers in Georgia accessible to Andersonville, only one could hear this sentence I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And that one is a Catholic.
1: So his time with Andersonville was at an end, but that experience shaped the rest of his life.
0: Yes. First in the war crimes trial of the officer in charge of Andersonville, Captain Henry Wirtz, Father Whalen was among those called to testify. Father testified that he believed Wirtz did the best he could in the circumstances. Essentially, Wirtz wasn't in control of how many prisoners he was sent, and he wasn't able to just transfer prisoners or build a bigger and nicer prison on his own the Union had ceased agreeing to prisoner exchanges because the Confederacy refused to include black prisoners. So there was no way to relieve the pressure at Andersonville. Wirtz even paroled a group of prisoners to take a petition signed by the men at Andersonville to the Union General, begging the Union to restart prisoner exchanges. It was refused because the Confederacy didn't relax the No Blacks policy. As for food and other supplies at Andersonville, the whole Confederacy was starving by this point in the war. Even the guards didn't get much food. Whalen said that Wirtz had always shown him and other priests great kindness and never refused them access or hindered them. Wirtz, who was Catholic, was even eager to have his services and those of the other priests who came. And Father Whalen said he never heard of or witnessed extreme brutality or violence, as was alleged. In the end, in spite of Whalen's testimony and that of others who corroborated, Wirtz was hanged. He was the only Confederate officer executed in the aftermath of the Civil War. Whalen, who had protested his execution, regarded him as a scapegoat.
1: But during the trial, he was also asked about his work at Andersonville. In the course of his testimony, he said, My duties were those of a Catholic priest, nothing more. I had no commission from the Confederate government. I went there voluntarily, without pay or remuneration, further than to receive rations. And later he would write, No amount of salary could induce me to stay at Andersonville for one week. No, sir, not all the gold or paper money in the Treasury of Washington. My motive was not money, it was to allay misery and gain souls for
0: God. Father Whalen, suffering from the lung ailment contracted at Andersonville, returned to Savannah after the war. He wrote to the Secretary of War Edwin Stanton in an attempt to recuperate the large sum he had borrowed to feed Union POWs. Stanton, like a typical bureaucrat, wrote back asking for receipts. Whalen, who by this point had had a flare-up of his lung condition, responded that as his age and with his health, He wasn't going to crisscross Georgia tracking down receipts.
1: But also, meantime, Providence had provided him with another means of paying that debt.
0: Right. His doctors recommended that he go north to get out of Savannah's humid air. Friends pooled their money to give him the means to move to New York. So when he wrote to Stanton, he was able to close by saying he would pay back the loan with the money he'd been given to travel. So much did he value justice over his own health.
1: Father Whalen was made pastor of St. Patrick's Parish in Savannah in 1868. In late January of 1871, his health, which had been delicate since Andersonville, took a severe turn for the worst. An announcement was made of his imminent death. On January 28th, the Savannah Morning News wrote of him, The good old man is passing from earth to that heaven reserved for such as he, where he will receive the reward due to his godly life. The good and true, especially those who have known him at the bivouac, the battle's front, at the couch of the sick, wounded and dying, and at the altar will mourn his loss. Father Peter Whalen passed away on February 6, 1871 at 69 years old. He lay in state in the cathedral and was buried in purple vestments, a dignity usually reserved for prelates. His funeral procession included 86 carriages, people of all faiths, and from all over, and was the longest Savannah had ever seen. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and a review. To learn more about today's topic, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow.
0: And I'm Tom Crow.
1: Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.
0: Where, where did he go to college? He went to college in Kilkenny. Oh my gosh, they killed Kenny!